Yeah, come on. You're in the right place this morning. You are in the house of God. Anybody else excited to be in church today? I'm so excited to be here with you guys. Um, I joked with the first service, and I said, I think I win for coming from the furthest location. Uh, because I came from Korea this week. I had the opportunity to go and to be a part of something called the Comeback Tour in Korea. And uh, you wouldn't think this, but we actually did a gospel tour over five cities with some non-Christian hip-hop artists. It was glorious. And the way that it was set up was so fun because let there be light. The way that it was set up was so fun because the rappers, they took the stage first and they got the whole place turned, you know? Everybody's in the front line. And then we came up and made a gospel presentation. And you should have seen some of the people there listening to the preaching of the gospel for the first time. It was like shock and awe and wonder and like confusion and sadness. Like it was weird, but amazing. There was one night we were in this city named uh, Deju, I think it was. We were in this city called Deju. And uh, it it wasn't like a church church presentation, okay? It was like epicenter of the city, like high rises around. One night we preached the gospel in front of a Chanel. I felt so bougie. I was like, man, this is going to be the week preachers and sneakers going to get me. We preached the gospel in front of an H&M. It was amazing. So like this, this one night, uh, you know, we're sharing Jesus, and we said, hey, if you want to get saved tonight, just lift your hand up, and I watched this girl. She was, like, locked onto me, and of course, I have a translator, right, and she's locked onto me, and I can see tears, like, start to stream down her face as she's hearing about Jesus. I don't know if it was for the first time, if she'd heard about it before, but she's hearing about Jesus, and tears are streaming down her face. I'm like, if you want to receive Jesus, just lift your hand up. She like kind of lifts her hand up. I'm like, no, no, come on, lift your hand up. And I don't know if they translated it right, but she just turned around and ran. <laughs> I'm like, now there's a response to the gospel. You know, it was like, I could tell that God was moving on her so powerfully. I think that her natural response was like, what do I do with this? And I was like, come to the front. She's like. Oh my God, touch that girl. You know, it was amazing. I don't know how many people we saw come to Jesus on the trip, but it was quite a few. And even some of the rap artists, like we were on the tour bus with them. And so they were stuck with us. Like they were hearing the gospel. We got to pray for them, prophesy to them, encourage them, share scripture with them. Some of the hip hop artists actually got saved on the trip. And some of them who had walked away from their faith a long time previous actually came back to Jesus on the trip. So it was so fruitful, and I was so appreciative of the design of the tour because the whole thing was to go after the lost, but not just the crowds, also the artist. I was like, that is genius. That is cool right there. So I just want to say thank you guys so much uh, for not just allowing me to leave, but for sending me and blessing me. Listen, 
I know sometimes it's a challenge to like release and send your pastor. Like been pastoring in the States now for a little while. And I know that sometimes it's excruciating when your pastor is not home and some people take a break on that day, not calling anybody out. Right? But some people take a break on that day. And I'm very thankful to be a part of a church family that is all about the harvest in every nation, in every single nation. I'm grateful for a church community that lays hands, blesses, and sends us to go out and to get the harvest that Jesus deserves. Amen? So while I was gone, I know that my wife absolutely crushed it last week, kicking off our sermon series that we're calling The First 50. And so what we're going to be doing for the next, uh, you know, 43, 40, uh, 42 days, something like that, uh, is we're going to be studying the life of Jesus post-resurrection. And Jesus did a lot of amazing things in his ministry, worked miracles, he preached sermons. He did a lot of incredible things. And uh, we want to find out what is it that Jesus was up to after he resurrected. In the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 3, it says, He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many infallible proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. It's very interesting to point out that Jesus was on assignment post-resurrection, and that was to gather his disciples and teach them about the kingdom of God. Now, we never see Jesus sitting down and pulling out a PowerPoint presentation to teach his disciples line by line, precept upon precept about the kingdom of God. But what Jesus does do is he has multiple encounters with his friends and he shares with them key ingredients or elements of the kingdom lifestyle. So what we're going to be doing as we track the journey of Jesus is looking at those stories, examining what it is that Jesus shared with his friends and pulling things from these passages that can help us more live a resurrected lifestyle in the kingdom of God. So if you're all about that, say, I'm all about that. If you're ready for it, let's say, I'm ready. But you notice that we're not just saying the first 40, we're saying the first 50. And there's a reason for that. Because we want to follow Jesus on this journey, not just to Acts chapter 1 when he ascends to the Father, but we want to follow Jesus on this journey all the way until the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost was a Jewish feast or festival, but the day of Pentecost is actually the day that the 120 were gathered in the upper room and the baptism of the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church. 3,000 people got saved that same day. That's pretty phenomenal. Would you guys agree? And so what we're going to do on 50 days post each Easter, which Pentecost actually translates out as 50. Uh, So what we're going to do is we're really going to go after receiving the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a church community. So not this worship night that's happening on Tuesday. I mean, you can go after the baptism of the Holy Spirit anytime you want. I would encourage you to do that because there is life changing power in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. 
if you've received this gift, just say amen, because you can testify to that fact, right? I mean, think about it, right? Like Peter denies Jesus three times. He's afraid. But then post-baptism of the Holy Spirit, he steps up and preaches in the face of the same people that crucified Jesus Christ not many days prior. And he preaches with such power and with such boldness that the church gets started and all these people get saved and baptized. And that's pretty amazing. You see what you can do when you're filled with the Holy Spirit? Isn't that awesome? It's the truth, man. There is world-changing power in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And so on worship night next month, about six, five, six weeks from now, I'm going to do a very, very short teaching, like 10 minutes. I'm going to talk about receiving the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then during worship night, we're actually going to go after it. So the front row is semi-excited about it. But listen, I'm really believing for a new season, a new spiritual season in the life of our church as a result of the Spirit being poured out, not just on one or two people, not just on a few select leaders, but how many of you guys know that the flame separated and it was upon each and every person in the upper room? Baptism of the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit is for every single disciple of Jesus Christ. It's not just for special folks in the priestly uh, ministry. It's for us all. Because each and every one of us are called to be world changers. If you're here for the first time, just buckle up because you're going to get to hear that phrase so often if you decide to become a part of legacy because we believe that history is supposed to be different because you are alive. We believe that you're supposed to make a difference a hundred years from now because of your obedience to Jesus Christ. That God does not raise up anointed bench warmers, people who sit on their hands and do nothing for Jesus after they're saved by him, but that each and every one of us are called to get in the game for God and make an impact in the kingdom. If you believe that, say amen. amen. I'm talking about you. Don't think that, oh yeah, that's good. That's for somebody up there in the front. No, it's about you you've been saved and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, it's for you. So today we're going to track the journey of Jesus in John chapter 21. So if you have your Bible, you want to open it up, physical Bible, your app, John 21. If you don't have either, that's fine. We're going to read it off of the screen here. But I'm going to read uh, about a story uh, that I'm very curious of, to be honest with you, from John chapter 21, and it is the breakfast by the sea story. So if you can turn in your Bible to John chapter 21, that's where we're going to start today. So John chapter 21, verse 1 through 14. Are you guys down for 14 verses of scripture? I know know it's a lot, but hey, look, pull a seat up to the table. It's time to eat. Amen. So after this, everybody say after this. Now, this begs a question, after what? Right? After what? So if you have a physical Bible, just turn back a page to the last two verses of Scripture in John chapter 20. And let me read those two verses of Scripture to you real quick. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Now, I think we could all agree that sounds like a very poetic ending to an impeccable book. 
That's like the last chapter. That's the icing on the cake. You know, that, it, that is like, wow, what a story. It was incredible. Jesus walked through the walls. He came back for Thomas. He showed them the wound in his side. He showed them the holes in his hands. Now, uh, you know, John summarizes and concludes this beautiful book by telling us, hey, all of these things were fulfilled by Jesus. He worked all of these miracles. He did all of these wonderful things. And here's why. Because if you believe in him and everything that's been shared here, you will have life in his glorious name, the end. It's just, it's just a wonderful conclusion to a wonderful book. And because of the way that John ends chapter 20, it's actually been debated for a number of years by theologians as to whether or not John chapter 21 was even included in the original manuscript. Because the story of John chapter 21, which we're going to look at over the next two sermons, the story is so simple. It's so subtle. It's so humble. It's so relational. It's so intimate. It's so quaint. It's not Jesus breaking down the kingdom and wonderful teaching. It's not him raising the dead or cleansing the leper or casting out demons. It is simply Jesus sharing a meal with his friends. Beautiful, amazing, but simple. But upon further study, we notice that there's a lot of phrases that John uses in John chapter 21 that he had been using for the other 20 chapters of his book. And so it's accepted today, theologians agree, that John chapter 21 was in the original manuscript. It actually helps quite a bit that every single book of John that has ever been discovered on the face of planet Earth has always included John chapter 21 so that we know that it's in the original manuscript. But one has to wonder when you read the ending of John chapter 20, if John had decided to end his book there only to consider it for a moment longer and think, you know, when they read this book a hundred years from now, maybe he didn't know it was going to last that long. When they read this book a few months from now, when this letter makes it to where I'm sending it to go, when they read this book, I think I should include this little story here. I think I should include this little instance here of Jesus doing a very familiar thing in a very familiar place in a very intimate way to showcase the friendship and the affection that Jesus has for his friends. Isn't it incredible that Jesus is so good at writing an extra chapter in our lives. Just whenever the world says, man, the case should be closed, Jesus adds a chapter. Just whenever everybody's like, it's finished, they're not recovering from that, Jesus said, let's add a chapter 21 to their life. Yeah, I know it seems that it should be over. Yeah, I know that it seems like it should be finished, but the truth is I've got more to say about them. Turn to the person next to say, Jesus has more to say about you. I'm telling you guys right now, your high water mark in God is not meant to be the first three months after you were saved. It doesn't matter what awesome thing God has done in your past. He has plans to outdo himself. This is a promise that you can carry in your heart until kingdom come, because as you follow Jesus and walk with him, it keeps getting better. 
The best is yet to come is not a good bumper sticker. It is a promise that we can write on our hearts and take to the bank because Jesus is faithful. You guys ready to go back to John 21 now? So back to John 21 here. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and the two others of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said, I am going fishing. Now, before we get all judgmental, because that's what we commonly do whenever we read this story of Simon Peter sort of turning his back and going fishing. You have to consider, man, the disciples have had an intense week. I mean, think about it. What do you do when you've had an intense week? Typically, we insulate ourselves from pain by giving our time to some mindless entertainment. We go back to our familiar right? We go back to the thing that we can do on autopilot to try to insulate our hearts from any grievances or the intensity of the life season that we're walking through, right? And that's, in a sense, what the disciples are doing. Peter's like, man, like Jesus was arrested. Jesus was beaten. I turned my back on my best friend. Jesus was crucified. He died and was buried and placed in a grave. Jesus resurrected at the end of three days, just like he said he would. We saw angels. Jesus walked through the walls of our meeting and showed us his supernaturally resurrected flesh. He came in and told us to wait for this promise. What are we supposed to do next? What are we supposed to do while we're waiting? Shoot, let's go fishing. (laughs) So before you get all judgmental, I mean, think about the moments in which you have this in your life. It's like, oh, experiencing a little bit of pain. Get out my phone. It's kind of the equivalent, right? It's like, and, 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 you know, it's not that we experience moments of this and, and numb ourselves with mindless, you know, entertainment. It's that we can also experience weeks, seasons, years. But I'm thankful for what Jesus does next, right? And so the disciples say with Peter, they said, okay, we're going to go with you. We ain't got nothing better to do. We're going to roll with you. And they went out and got into the boat, not just a boat, which is indicative to me of the fishing business that some of the disciples stewarded prior to them following Jesus. They simply went back to their old careers. They went back to their familiar. They went back to their usual. But that night they caught nothing, which is somewhat surprising because they're fishermen. They do this professionally, but there's no breakthrough happening for them. They go out when nobody else is there. They go out at the best time to fish, and yet they find no fish. You ever been in that place before? I should be good at this. I'm supposed to have breakthrough in this area, but you got nada. That hit home for a couple of people right there. Next, Next slide. Just as day was breaking... Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, 
Do you have any fish? Wow, look at the affection of Jesus. Look at how he addresses his friends. If you look in the original language, you could also translate it out as this. Fellows, do you have any food? Do you have anything to eat? Is there any bread on the boat? Have you caught any fish yet? And they answered him, no. Now, if you know any fishermen, you know they like to tell stories. So this is indicative of how frustrating that it's been. They've been toiling all night long and they've caught nothing. And so they simply shout back, no. As if to say, go away. I need not be reminded of my failure. I need not be reminded of the fact that I've been working so hard and I have nothing to show for it. Please let me continue in my mindless isolation because I don't want to talk to anybody that would remind me of the lack of breakthrough in my life. No, I'm good. So Jesus said, hey, cast the net on the right side. I've been casting it on the wrong side, boys. Cast it on the right side of the boat, and you will find some, just, just some. Man, I, I'm so grateful that what Jesus calls a little is abundance in my life. I'm so grateful that even when Jesus decides to give me a little bit of goodness, it's so overwhelming that I am flooded with blessing. Hallelujah. Some, so they cast it, and now they were not even able to haul it in. Because of the quantity of blessing, the quantity of fish, and the quantity of food. And the disciple whom Jesus loved, I love the humility of John. He's just writing himself right into the story as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He didn't, he didn't want to be, it's like a humble brag. It's like a humble brag. It's like, I'm not going to say my name, but I'm going to put it in there so y'all know who it is. I recognized him. And so, therefore, he said to Peter, bro. It's the Lord. You don't want to be like, duh. You see all these fish? He said, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. Just carelessly throws himself into the deep. Just passionately goes after the one that his soul loves. Just says, man, I'm not sure. I don't know. I got belief, but Lord, help my unbelief. What if it's him? I'm going to throw myself into the unknown because what if it's him? I'm going to throw myself into the adventure because what if on the other side of this surrender is the Lord? And so he jumps in and the other disciples came into the boat and they're dragging the net of full fish for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. Dude, are you serious? Peter swam a hundred yards. Spirit of Michael Phelps hit the man. He... I Googled this this week. I was like, how fast? Can somebody swim 100 yards? The fastest ever has been 40 seconds. I mean, this dude had an Ironman swim ahead of him. But that only further indicates the amount of passion. Yeah. 
that was in his heart. See, he was like, oh man, that sacrifice is nothing if it's the Lord. See, sacrifice is not really that big a deal when you're in love. So the other disciples came, they're not far off the land, but about 100 yards off. Next slide, please. And, and when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in the place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus asked for what he already has? Yeah. When Jesus asks us for something, it's not because he's lacking in anything. In many ways, when Jesus asks us questions, it's not about examining what he has, but examining who we've become, yeah. what we have, where we are, and in the midst of that investigation, recognizing our further dependence upon him. Jesus was asking us what we have, but man, he's already, he's already making breakfast. And so Simon Peter went aboard and he hauled the net ashore and it was full of large fish. These are the type of fish you brag about. 153 of them. Thank God for the spirit-filled administrators. Somebody counted. I love that because oftentimes we think about Jesus as being reckless, you know, that he didn't have a strategy. But how many of you guys know that even when he fed the 5,000, he said, y'all sit down in groups of 50. There was a method to Jesus' miracles. 153 of them, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. They knew who fed him. Jesus came and took the bread and he gave it to them and so with the fish. And now this was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So the message I have for you today, the title of the message, I know I've sort of went on and on with an introduction, but the title of the message today is this, Breakfast of Champions. Breakfast of Champions. Because this is a breakfast of champions. Jesus turns these dejected disciples into Christ-following champions. So we see a familiar scene here. It's quite interesting. We hear a familiar conversation. We don't see it at first glance because it's just a story, right? It's the humble, intimate, relational story of Jesus fixing breakfast for his friends. But when you really think about it, this story is not a new story. This story has actually been played out quite a few times. So often we find Jesus not lecturing in temples, but connecting over tables. I love the fact that Jesus was able to take the conversation about God from the temple to the table. Jesus, in fact, had so many conversations and connected with so many people over bread, over food, over a meal that he actually was accused of being a glutton. They said, man, you're a drunkard and you're a glutton because you're drinking and you're eating with sinners and with tax collectors. So this is not an unfamiliar scene for Jesus. Jesus enjoyed eating with people. He enjoyed breaking bread. He enjoyed sharing food. He enjoyed connecting. Not only was the meal familiar, but the scene itself was familiar. I mean, consider three years previous, Jesus walked a similar shoreline and he called out to the same disciples on board of a similar boat. 
You remember Matthew chapter four? He said, hey, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I'm gonna transform you into a professional fisherman. I know you fish for fish, but I'm gonna cause you to fish for men. And so it's so ironic, isn't it? That Jesus would walk a shoreline again and call out to the same disciples again and to see the disciples in a similar boat again, it's a similar scene. But it's also a similar conversation because Jesus is talking about fish again. Talking about food again. And in a sense, he's saying, hey, I told you I was gonna teach you to fish. Have you learned to fish? Hey, I told you I was gonna teach you to fish. Have you got any bread in the boat? Have you got any food? Have you eaten? Do you guys need breakfast? No, we haven't eaten. In fact, we've been out here all night. We're tired. We're exhausted. We're weary. We're hungry. We're weak in our physical flesh. We are doing everything that we know to do, but we're coming up short. We're doing what we're good at, and the nets are still empty. So interesting that Jesus would say, hey, we'll try on the other side of the boat. Even the way in which fishermen fished in this era of the world was to put the net between the two boats so that they could trap the fish. So for them to hear, try on the other side of the boat would have been so ridiculous and absurd to them because they've already scaled the entirety of the area and trapped all the fish that were available, which was none. And yet they said, we're going to obey because maybe, maybe this is the Lord. They cast the net on the other side. And what happens? They take in 153 large fish. Now, I want you to notice something because I really think this is where the the point of the message, at least for me and how it hit my heart, is that when we choose to obey Jesus, we become supernaturally fed. When we choose to obey Jesus, we receive supernatural harvest. At the end of our own good works, at the end of us doing everything that we can possibly think of to do, it is the variable of the voice of the Lord and us saying yes to what God asks of us that brings in the reward that's been promised. It's not our hard work. It's our submission. Come on. Thank you. It's not our toil. It's our yieldedness. Yes. And the fish come into the boat and they haul in 153, a massive catch. But without obedience, they had nothing to eat. Without obedience, they had nothing to sustain them. Without obedience, they were weak, they were frail, and they were working without reward. Which reminds me of a small passage written by the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah 55 says, Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? We may not see it the same, but so many of us are working all night long. We're hustling hard, but our nets are empty. We're given our best work 
to what we say that we know how to do and yet have nothing or little to show for it. But look at the next part of Isaiah 55 because there is a link to your food and your obedience. Listen diligently to me. Everybody say obey. obey. Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. I believe that there is a clear and direct scriptural illustration, a link between obedience and food. The moment in which the disciples were fed was the moment in which they obeyed Jesus. They brought in the harvest when they said yes to him. Think about John chapter four when Jesus is hanging out with the woman at the well. You know, the disciples leave to go grab lunch. And then whenever they come back and they find Jesus ministering to the Samaritan woman, they're confused because they're like, we thought you were hungry. He says, oh, I don't need the bread that you've brought because I'm already supernaturally sustained by my obedience to the Father. I'm not nourished by the bread that you've brought. Don't you know that my bread, don't you know that my food is to do the will of my Father? I am supernaturally sustained because I've been obedient to God. See, bread, obedience is the bread of world changers. Obedience is the bread of world changers. I mean, think about the temptation in the wilderness. Walking along and Satan says, hey man, I see that you're hungry. Why don't you turn some of those stones into bread and feed your flesh? And see, obedience sometimes is uncomfortable to the flesh, but it's always nourishing to the spirit. And Jesus says, no, no, no. I don't need to work a supernatural miracle so that I can feed my flesh. Satan, here's where you're wrong. My meal is not to eat that bread. My meal is to do the will of my Father and to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit into this wilderness. I have a purpose. I have an assignment. I have a calling on my life. And so I'm not gonna turn back in a moment of hunger. I'm gonna feed my spirit by being obedient to God. In the midst of their familiar, Jesus shows up on the shoreline and says, hey, boys, you hungry? Jesus himself, born in a little town called Bethlehem from the Christmas story. What is Bethlehem called? It is the house of bread. That is the translation of Bethlehem. Jesus himself, John chapter six said, I am the bread of life. If anybody is hungry, let him come to me. He recognized the hunger that was in the heart of the disciples. They were trying to mindlessly entertain themselves with something that didn't even matter and wasn't even connected to their eternal purpose. But when Jesus showed up again in that familiar place, Passion was ignited, hunger was stirred, and they were fed in the spirit and received breakthrough that was previously unseen. Now, I think there's, yeah, dude, I'm telling you, man, this has gripped me because I realized that the only way we get anywhere in the spirit as the result of obedience. You know how many times I meet with Christians over coffee and they tell me how bored they are? I'm like, dude, you're not bored, you're just disobedient. What has God spoken to you? Oh, you're not doing that? Well, it's no wonder that you're bored because obedience is the hinge of the, to the door of adventure. 
you don't know why you're alive until you surrender to the Spirit. If you really want to tap into your purpose, it looks like this. Yes. But, I, you know, I've met so many people who are talking themselves out of their purpose and like, man, well, God told me to do this. Well, God told me. And my question is this. Is that you responding to God or is that God responding to you? Think about it. I know a lot of people that like to say, God said, God said, God said, but they're not responding to God at all. It's just God responding to them. Yeah. I think God is, is, is such a good father. Eventually, he'll let us kind of do what we're wanting to do and he'll even bless and protect us because he loves us. Yeah. But there's a difference in that passive lifestyle of mindlessly insulating ourselves from pain, saying, God, can I please do this? Can I please do it? You know, I mean, like, I don't really want to actually be inconvenienced. I don't actually want to do anything uncomfortable. I just want to go sit around and warm the bench. Can I actually? He's like, yeah, I, I love you. I'm, I'm be with you. Oh, yeah, God's with me. Okay, I'm in the will of God. Come on, guys. This is, I'm highlighting something right here. There's a big difference in God responding to you and you responding to God. Yeah. Because there's, you know, responding to God looks like this. It looks like submission. This is a cuss word to our generation. It looks like not my will, but your will. I submit to your authority. Oh, you better not say that word. Right? But you, when you, you talk about the bread of a world changer, this is the bread of a world changer. I'm going to give you guys four quick points from this passage. Four quick points, all right? I, I, uh, I probably should edit this sermon some for the third service because it's so long, but I just like everything God spoke to me about. Hey, four points. You guys ready? Take notes if you want to. Number one is this. Number one is this. Obedience is productive and it guarantees blessing. Obedience is productive and it guarantees blessing. If you want to know how to really be productive, it's in obedience to God. I know sometimes we can put our head down and work so hard. We can hustle, but our nets be empty. We can hustle real hard, but our nets are empty. Isn't that the worst feeling in the world? When you've given your all and you're like, what have I got to show? I don't feel like I've, I don't feel like I've accomplished anything. You know how many people I meet on airplanes or, you know, sitting next to people and, and they're wealthy, they run company. I met, I met a guy, a CEO, last time I was flying to Hawaii, I got upgraded to first class, hallelujah, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Glory to God. And, and I sat down next to the guy, I said, man, how you doing? He said, I'm, he said, I'm okay. And, and I'm like, man, what do you do? He's like, I'm retired. I'm thinking, he don't seem to be old enough to be retired. I said, well, what did you do? He said, I got FU money. You ever heard that before? It's mean like, I can do whatever I want. I said, man, how's your, how's your marriage? Oh, it's terrible. How's your life? That's not good. You know how many people I meet? They're work toiling all night. Pull up the nets. But when you're obedient to God, it guarantees that you'll be productive and it guarantees blessing. See, hard work plus disobedience equals empty nets. Hard work plus disobedience equals empty nets. On the other hand, anything done in obedience to God is placed under God's authority and anything under God's authority is protected. 
even when you do the exact opposite of what other people think that you should, when you're being obedient to God, their words cannot hold you back. Their lack of promotion, their lack of permission, even when they try to block and barricade you, when you're obedient to God, you are operating under the authority of God. And if God be for you, who can be against you? Even in John 15, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. This is something that we have to remember as we read through this story. Apart from God, nothing gets accomplished. Here's point two. Obedience produces personal revival. Think about the stirring of the passion in Peter's heart whenever he heard that this was the Lord. He obeyed what God had to say, and as a result of the miracle, he didn't even give it a second thought. He hopped into the water, and he swam 100 yards because of the possibility of beholding the beauty of the one whom his soul loved. He was stirred and reignited with a personal passion to seek God. I'm telling you, when you stop obeying God, you start to become complacent. You start to become exhausted. You start to become tired because there's no life-giving atmosphere operating around you. But here's the good news. Jesus is so faithful to show up in the midst of your familiar and invite you again to obey. I am back here again, familiar spot. I I spoke it to you three years ago. I called you three years ago. I called you in this assignment three years ago. Hey, I know it's familiar. Hey, we're gonna have a familiar conversation. Remember I talked to you about fish? I'm gonna talk to you about fish again because look, I'm gonna invite you back. And that's why I think it's when we go through tough times, it's good to remember uh, where we were when God found us, but I think it's also good to remember where he was and what he spoke and what he said. And by obeying, we have something happened in our heart. Obedience feeds our spirit. Obedience is the sustenance to our spiritual life. Here's the third point. Obedience produces harvest. Harvest. Harvest of souls. Harvest of people. They come into the net. Think about it. 153 large fish. Why in the world 153? The church father Jerome said that there was a reason for 153, and that's because 153 was the number of the known species of fish in the earth at that time. That means every tribe, every tongue, every nation, every people group, it doesn't matter where they've come from, they're all included in the promise of the net of Jesus Christ. Christ. He wants to haul in a harvest of every nation. He wants to haul in a harvest of every people group. Nobody's left out. There's not one that's exempt. There's not one that's disqualified, but it's each and every one. And God has taken care to make a meticulous count, not to leave anybody out, but to call all men, all women to himself. No matter how bad, no matter how broken, no matter if they've drowned and they're down at the bottom, he calls every single one of them into the boat. Obedience releases harvest. Hey, look, if you're in business and you're like, man, I'm not having any harvest. Are you obedient? Ask the Lord. What can I ask the Lord? Get some wisdom from the age to come. Ask the Lord, what do I do, God? What action do I take, Lord? What's amazing is that they take the harvest because Jesus asked for it. He says, bring it to me. I just think that's beautiful because no matter what we catch, it all comes to him anyway. So here you go, Lord. And here's the last part is that obedience produces unity and restores family. No matter how great the harvest, the nets never break. It's just symbolic of the oneness 
of the connectivity, of the flexibility, stretched, but not broken. The hard work has not hurt the connection. All of the disciples come back into the fold. Even Peter, the one who denied Jesus to his face three times, is restored back into his rightful place in the family of God. Family is restored. Unity takes place, and it's this unity that leads them all the way to the upper room where they're unified until the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes. As you're standing today, I just want to pray with you now, and we're going to do a chorus of worship and lift our voices to King Jesus, who is the desire of the nations. He is the reason why we do what we do. And God, we thank you that you are so faithful to never stop speaking to us. Guys, the breakfast of champions is obedience. If you want to be a champion in the kingdom of God, you want to be a champion in this earth, you want to be a champion in this generation, you want to be a champion for your family, you want to be a champion for your kids, you want to be a champion for your friends, you want to be a champion for your university, you want to be a champion for your city, I'm telling you, the bread of a world changer is obedience. World changers live to be inconvenienced because they're so in love, they know that even on the other side of what's difficult, that they're going to get to rejoice with a meal with their friend, Jesus. So if you're in here today, and I'm just going to ask you just for a moment, please, before, before, we, before we move, just for a moment, please, close your eyes. Close your eyes, bow your head. If you're in here today and you're far from God and you're like, man, today's the day I need to get saved. I need to come home. I need to have a restoration of my relationship with Jesus. I just want you to lift your hand right now because we're going to pray for you. It's a a subtle act. It's a simple act, but it's something that signifies a change and a transition in your life, in your heart, and in your lifestyle. So if that's you, just lift your hand real quick. There's absolutely no pressure. Awesome, see you, amazing. Anyone else, if you wanna lift your hand, go for it now. Don't even think about it. Just let your spirit do its work. Awesome. So let's pray for those who've lifted their hand and let's all pray together with them. Say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin and disobedience. I receive your forgiveness. I receive your grace. Fill me with your spirit draw me to you this is the day everything changes because I belong to you for the rest of my days in Jesus name amen 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 come on let's give those guys a hand that lifted up their hands